This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. everyone and welcome to the live Clubland Q&A and I'm really delighted and honored to join you once again it's Laura Rosen Cohen um, so yes we have a Zionist occupation of the mic right now uh, as you guys know uh, Mark still is recovering from his heart attacks um, and thank you all again for your kind wishes and prayers that all helps very much. And Andrew, our regular guest host, is cavorting uh, at Davos with all the WEF uh, fellows. We'll get to the WEF uh, a little bit later as well. And for now, I would like to just welcome you. It is thir- uh, Friday. Oh, my God. It was Thursday. It's Friday, January the 20th, 2023. And uh, we're, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. There's a lot of really good questions that have come up already. We're going to take as many as we can. I am also going to try to enunciate and articulate and uh, hope you guys can hear me. Um, I have a very low-tech brain and a low-tech setup, but we're going to get into some very complicated and interesting issues. Um, so starting off, uh, what I think it's very interesting percolating right now. Obviously, we have the world leaders um, known as the Hooker Fest um, in Davos uh, brewing all kinds of trouble for us. I think what we have to really recognize is that we get drips and drabs of whatever they're planning. But if you hear any of these characters actually talking publicly about what they want to do and what their dreams are, really pay very, very good attention to it because they're not kidding. They are not kidding. And there's a bunch of crazy ideas that they've already implemented in a lot of places. They've already put out test balloons, trials in certain places. The bug thing, you know, you will eat the bugs. There are places in the world that are uh, really saturated with news stories about how great the bugs are for you. Um, We know that they want to take cars away from us. We know that. And uh, there's been a few stories lately, I don't know if you guys have seen, about uh, communities that they want to plan 
I think they call them something like 15-minute communities. So on paper, again, it sounds nice and good and kind and green, uh, where you have a city or a little village, and you have everything you need within a 15-minute walking radius or a bike ride. So you really don't need a car. You don't need to go anywhere. You can just stay in your little 15-minute prison for the rest of your life. And those are being implemented in, in certain places under the guise of, you know, sustainable urban planning. But don't kid yourselves. That is what they want for all of us. And I think we have to, once again, just pay very close attention to these uh, fantasies that they're articulating in Davos because it's coming soon to a town near you if it hasn't uh, already. So let me know if you guys have experienced any of that kind of weird uh, quote, sustainability stuff happening uh, in your necks of the woods. Uh, another thing which we're going to talk about a little bit is uh, obviously what's happening in America right now with Joe Biden uh, and his crazy convertible and the documents and the story of how Democrats never seem to go to jail for anything and they get away with murder, literally. Um, I know that we're going to have some questions about that as well. Um, one thing I want to say about that is I actually get a lot of emails uh, from people who are like, oh, you know, the let's look at this hypocrisy. Look at the hypocrisy. Just like when we had masks, like so-and-so is not wearing a mask. They got caught wearing a mask and they're hypocrites. And I sound like a broken record player, but really it's not about hypocrisy at all. This is chutzpah. It's a Jew word for you guys. I'm sure you know it, but it's chutzpah and it's showing you who is the boss and who is in control. And it can be the most ridiculous things, the most seemingly meaningless, or it can be the big issues like, you know, controlling where you go and who you see and who you have in your house and what you eat. So please, let's let's dump the word hypocrisy. These people, these elites, these horrible, snobby, rich, uh, tyrannical, power-grubbing kooks, they are not hypocrites <laughs> because they are just uh, power drunk and that is what we have to use as our paradigm. That Those are the lenses that you have to look at this stuff with. Um, that is my uh, spiel for now and we are going to go right into your questions and see what people want to talk about. So let's see, we have Eric Dale. Thank you for your question, Eric. Eric says, Laura, hail to the queen of the Q&A, long may you reign. That's <laughs> really, that's very funny. Um, I'm not the queen of very many things. So to be queen of Q&A, even temporarily is very nice. I am just warming the seat, though. Let's be clear. Uh, as Mark has explained on many occasions when he was in British boarding schools, there were the bum warmer, warmer people, the guys who warmed the toilets. I'm just warming the, the mic seat right now. So Mark is the man. He's the guy, the great prophet. And uh, I'm very pleased to be here, but he it is his, uh, his kingdom. So let's see. Uh, as I'm in a, a, a sycophantic state of mind, I wonder if you could at least give a good word for benevolent overlords meeting in Davos. It occurred to me that our America, at least obesity crisis, will be solved when we are gently persuaded to eat the bugs. I tried some flavored crickets, ranch and bacon cheddar, and believe me, there's no overeating after those dry heaves. Should we appreciate our elites more than we do? Are we simply ungrateful little piglets complaining about the milk because the teat's a little hairy? Thank you for that question, Eric. There's there's actually a number of um, bits and pieces in that that we should talk about. So first of all, you know, obviously 
the bug thing is really disgusting and repulsive. And humans have a natural inclination, obviously, to shudder away from critters and spiders and snakes and bugs. That's for a reason. And I think every time we get into the habit of ignoring our natural human instinct and trying to bury it, uh, it, it goes into dangerous territory. Um, you know, like when you're walking down the street and you your hair stands on edge and you feel like there's something there. And should you cross the street? Should you not cross the street? You don't want to be racist or anything like that. Those kinds of things, there's very, um, there's layers of human instinct that we really have to pay attention to. And when we don't, it's at our peril. So eating bugs is completely counterintuitive. There's nothing about it that should be intuitive. It's disgusting. Um, pass me a steak. Um, but they definitely, they want, they want the steaks for themselves and they want you to eat the bugs. And they're very clear about that. But the, the serious issue in here, uh, equal to, or more so even than the, the Davos shenanigans is that really America has a huge obesity problem. I mean, we, we really have to be honest about that. Um, I think I've said on a number of occasions, I've told the story of one time when my family went to Florida and we went into a restaurant for breakfast and, um, there were four of us at the time and we were sitting and we ordered, we looked at the menu and realized that we could order one breakfast for the entire family. Now, that wasn't a matter of cheapness. Believe me, that was not the issue. The issue was that there was enough food in the one breakfast to feed a family of four. Now, if a, a one human sat down to eat that breakfast, that really does not bode well for their diet unless they're like an Olympic athlete. Um, there's too much fat in America, you guys. And I think that one of the reasons why America did so badly during COVID was precisely because of that. I mean, you have, there's really no reason for a human to be wearing an extra, extra, extra large shirt, pants. It's really awful. It's like a death sentence that people do to themselves. The sugary drinks, the the fast food, um, the, the eating in the car, the no family meals. These are all things that I think are really bad in America. And you see it everywhere. It's like a white whale type of thing. It's really bad. There's no getting around it. So um, yes, it would be great if Americans were healthier and lost weight, you know, get away from the diabetes and the sugar drinks and exercising more and to be more fit, to be a lean, mean fighting machine, because that's what we need. Um, that would be really great. Uh, it would not be great to do it via a cricket diet. Um, but uh, that's where we're at. It's It's a really serious problem. And I think, you know, body and mind goes together. You can't really separate body function, mind function, you have to really be wary of that. So thank you, Eric, for the question. Um, I think it's a really serious issue. And if anybody else wants to comment on that, feel free. Uh, let's move right along. So John Fachi, I hope I pronounced that right. Yes, Fachi as in Bocci, not Fauci. Oh, as in Ouchi, I lost my country. Anyways, John, we're just going to call you John. Okay. Uh, in light of the MLK Jr. statue unveiling this week, after a hundred years of bad pubic art, why is anyone shocked? Um, John, was was that a typo or was that intentional? Pubic or public? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, 
Big Con or Conservative Inc. has more important fish to fry. Do you agree? Um, so if you guys uh, haven't seen it, there is this monstrosity uh, public art sculpture that was unveiled allegedly in honor of Martin Luther King. And um, we'll have to, maybe we'll get, uh, we'll post it afterwards. I don't know. It's kind of offensive. Basically, it's this, I think it's bronze and it, it's it's like 10 million gazillion pounds of metal. And the sculpture is, the idea was that it's supposed to look like Martin Luther King hugging. I think it was his daughter. I didn't look into too many of the details of who it was supposed to be, but it's just the arms. And, and then you see, it, basically when you look at it, it looks like a massive bronze um, penis um, like, like a 10,000 foot penis being embraced by a couple of arms. It's ludicrous. It's so ugly and disgusting and stupid. And, um, it's still being celebrated. So I don't think it's going to go away. I think that they're, you know, whoever put that in place is going to double down and it, it won't be melted down. I mean, you know, honestly, with the size of that phallic, ridiculous looking thing, you could bring back the penny to America. I swear to God, if you boil that mother down, you could re reinsert the penny into circulation in, in American currency just by melting down that enormous, uh, penis. So, um, it's really awful. Modern art is disgusting. What else can I say? Um, does conservative ink, uh, big con have more important fish to fry uh, I guess, I mean, the penis sculptures are not going to matter if you don't have a country to display them publicly in, um, big, big con has, <clears throat> excuse me, an outrage machine that it feeds. And as Mark has described it, it feeds the send money, send money to sendmoney.com. That's a very important thing. Uh, people have their livelihoods, um, on all this kind of stuff. I think like, America is in decline from every um, from every measurable perspective. So the sculpture is a bit of a distraction. It's not the main thing. The main thing is how far down the road, getting close to over the cliff, everything has has gone and and where we're at right now. And it it is it is kind of sad because, uh, you know, it used to be that America was not just the world's policeman. But again, this, the idea that there was some moral authority, some leadership, and um, it's really awful to see uh, America decline in, in that sense as well. And um, it is a divided country. And as Mark says, it's not really a, f a left-right thing anymore. Um, I think where we can define things in terms of left and right, it's more of a coincidence um, because it really is, as Mark has described, a free or unfree thing. Um, and, you know, you can latch on to various conservative um, causes if you want, as long as you have your eyes on the prize. And I even heard a, a rabbi discuss this, how, you know, our, our Orthodox Jews, um, is it a good thing that they're latching themselves on to, say, the conservative movement? And this rabbi made a point that, uh, it's not that Orthodox Jews should or are necessarily um, attaching themselves to the conservative movement, but where there are items in the conservative, quote unquote, big C conservative agenda, then it's okay to promote those things. Um, so I think that 
is actually a good way of looking at it. Um, people are imperfect, leaders are imperfect, but if somebody is is working on a cause or moving in the direction that you agree with and that is in the general direction of good and free, then um, you can kind of latch onto that. Um, obviously, over the past week, there's been a lot of really weird back and forth in conservative uh, media circles, um, this whole Daily Wire, Stephen Crowder thing. Um, you know, if we get a question on it, um, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit. I am not super involved in all the details. I think like I think we just have to remember that for every uh, media outlet, you know, people have to be generating income, people have to be making money. And um, that's about it. Let's uh, let's move on. I hope I answered your pubic public question, John. Um, there we go. Uh, question from Michelle. Hey, Laura, who did it better, Biden with his garage or Hillary with her server in a Colorado bathroom closet? Yeah, I I can't even say that one or the other uh, did it better. It's just the modus vivendi of the Democrats. And again, that is one of the heartbreaking things is that, I mean, it makes me angry also to watch from, from a distance. It's like the lawlessness is, is there. Um, you know, Mark said on the Q&A last week, like, you know, page me or wake me up when Hillary uh, gets parole. And that's where you're at in America. Um, there are laws. Laws are for the little people. Nobody really pays the price for these flagrant um, abuses of power, abuse of the law. And, um, you know, we just saw, I, I didn't read the entire um, ruling. Um, we were talking about something else in the comments. Uh, you know what, I'll, I'll come back to the uh, <laughs> it was the Supreme Court leak, which again, it just it just shows that there's really no no equality under the law. And so no wonder so many disgusting, awful people uh, gravitate in particular to the Democrat Party, uh, because you can get away with murder. Um, you become rich, you um, you basically, I don't know, piss on the little people for your entire life. Um, acquire vast fortunes and uh, behave abominably and you never really pay the price. I mean, ultimately, if you're like a believer, then these people will pay the price in the heavenly kingdom or not. But it is it is a bit discouraging. So um, we can talk about that more. But I don't think uh, they're both gross. You know, can't they both lose kind of thing? Um, and I think we're, we're going to see more of that because uh, you know, with a few exceptions, there aren't really very many people who are willing to actually address the corruption head on in plain language. It's very risky. It's extremely risky. Um, and it's not just risky in terms of reputation or financially, but it's risky in terms of these SWAT teams that are sent to people's houses and, and they're doxxed. And uh, America has really um, so many... Um, uh, personal paramilitary forces, every minister, every every politician, every crackpot CIA guy, every crackpot IRS guy. So uh, taking on this kind of level of corruption is, is very dangerous. And it's just one of those things that have to be straightened up along with, for example, the election system and how votes are calculated and tabulated um, before there's going to be any hope of um, any kind of recovery, if, if that's indeed possible. I, I I don't like to generally be a pessimist, but that's where I see it uh, going worse before possibly better. Thank you, Michelle, for that question. Uh, let's move along. Again, hope you're uh, able to hear me well. 
we have Nicola Terriman, a fellow uh, Canadian. Hello, Nicola. Let's see what you've got on. Uh, saw Al Gore ranting at Davos about climate change. These people are like the Spanish Inquisition, totally fanatic and nuts. Thoughts. Um, yeah, I saw that clip. If you guys missed it, it was Al Gore going on this completely like unhinged rant about let's go climate. And he's so angry and he's like blustering and he looks terrible. He's like, you know, fat and pasty and, and yelly and angry. And I think he wants to biochip us because of vaccines. Anyways, like completely unhinged territory. Um, and he's obviously made a fortune being this uh, alleged uh, green crusader. And so is, is it nuts or not? I think I kind of addressed that before. Like a lot of it, these people, you have to consider them actors rather than um, policy leaders, thought leaders, philosophers. They're, they're, they're actors. So they're putting on a show. They're giving the audience what they want to hear and what they want to see, giving them ideas. Um, and honestly, with some of these people, the, their worst punishment is that they have to live with themselves. I mean, never mind the people who have to live around them or, or marry them or have them as parents. It's pretty bad punishment. So um, I think he's really ghastly. Uh, I'm not sure if he's like crazy. But again, they, these guys pontificate about all kinds of things that they never intend to put into practice in their life. So we shouldn't really take um, any of their direction seriously. We should just take seriously that that's what they want to do with us. Um, that's about it. Uh, he's been at this for a long time. And uh, it's like with George Soros and Klaus, Klaus Schwab, and now with Al Gore, I'm just so happy they're getting older. You know, they're turning into like old guys now. So they're not going to be around forever. Uh, so they can make, they can wreak havoc as much as they want now, but they are closer to the grave, hopefully, than uh, some of the rest of us. Uh, we're still going to have to suffer through them for a while, but it, it does bring a little bit of comfort that everybody does have a time limit on their time on earth. Um, and a lot of people have done such tremendous evil. So there's that. Um, let us pick another question. We're going to go to, oh, let's see. Um, Raymond Daubney uh, says, Laura, as a new member, non-frostbitten membership category. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. That is important to know. Uh, and also welcome to the Mark Stein Club. Uh, I, I don't know if this is your first question in a live Q&A, but uh, thank you for signing up. It is lovely to have you. And let's see what uh, your question is. I would be happy to hear your comments on Harry's shameless airing of private matters. Do you think that they will commission a sculpture for him at some time in the future? Best regards to Mark. Get well soon. Uh, so that's a really good question. Um, the frostbite uh, reference is obviously to a part of Harry's memoir, which was just so, so cringe and so ridiculous when he talked about it was like his penis got frostbitten and he had to put like his mother's, uh, his late mother's cream on it and that worked absolutely like nobody asked as the kids said say nobody asked and it is so petty and ridiculous and cringy but everything about this guy is turning out to be petty and cringy and terrible so um it's really awful and I think it's clear that Harry 
uh, has never been the brightest pencil, uh, brightest light in the box there. Uh, not the sharpest pencil, a uh, few French fries short of a Happy Meal, etc. Um, and now we know that he's not just not super smart, but he's bitter. He's a bitter, bitter, unhappy guy. He seems to have some serious, deep um, mental health issues. Uh, you know, surrounding his mother's death. But, you know, the guy's middle age now. you got to grow up at some point. And uh, I think I've said before, it's not like he grew up in a, in a, in a rice paddy, uh, field, a rice field, you know, picking rice or tea leaves and or in the slums of Calcutta. Uh, it's very hard to be sympathetic uh, to this exceptionally privileged existence. Um, and yeah, so he's, I don't, I don't think it's going to go well for him. I think he's really burned... Uh, the bridges uh, with his family, which is appalling. And you can't really walk that back. He's made too many horrible uh, accusations, let too much private stuff um, go to the public without any remorse. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Meghan Markle wrote the entire book or or most of it. And I think it's unfortunate. I don't think it's going to end well for Harry. I think Meghan Markle I, I know she has a prince in her hand or a, a duke or whatever. She's got a member of the royal family. But I think there might be a point where she also just ups and leaves and he'll be completely on his own. Uh, so I think he played this way too high stakes. I think it's really unfortunate and I don't think it's going to end well for him. Um, he's taking on the royal family essentially, or or they both are. And I'm seeing some indication that Charles may be up to the task. Uh, certainly the others are behaving in, in quite a, a dignified manner. And uh, I hope that will continue. I guess we'll see, um, you know, in the coronation, there's going to be a lot of antics around that, whether he shows up or not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I hope that uh, answers your question. Let's see what we've got now. Um, I missed... George, George, and I'm sorry, I'm not even going to mangle your last name this time. Okay, I'm just going to say, hey, George, thanks for the question. This is also royal related. Uh, when Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip married, they were, as the great Mark Stein pointed out, the most glamorous couple on the face of the earth. Glamorous meaning having an air of allure, romance and excitement. How does the artful Todger and Sparkles compare to the example of of Elizabeth and Philip, the kindest description I could come up with is train wreck, an utter disaster or mess, a disastrous calamity or source of trouble. Um, thank you so much, George, for that uh, comment and question. I, I, I delved into this a little bit before. I think that I, the reason why, I may have said this before, but why there was such an outpouring of sadness um, with the death of Queen Elizabeth is exactly uh, what you've described. Her death, her the death of her physical body, um, really ushered in uh, a feeling of sadness uh, about the death of that kind of dignity, that era of service and selflessness and order um, and majesty. And, you know, when we saw her coffin being lowered, I, I think honestly, that that went with her. I don't think that there's another human on the planet who is um, anywhere near that level of um, commitment, service, dignity, etc. 
So I think that it was the end of an era. Um, They also were really truly in love and you could see that in their eyes and in their physical gestures to one another and in some of the pranks that they still, that at least, um, you know, Prince Philip um, pulled once in a while. They they enjoyed each other. They enjoyed life, at least to the observable eye. And um, I just don't think we're going to see anything like that. And um, listening to, repeat listenings to some of Queen Elizabeth's speeches, uh, there's just nothing of the kind coming out of the mouths of any other royal. So it's really unfortunate. And yeah, it's it's really too bad that Harry uh, has been so Im- immature and ugly about basically everything. Um, it is It is a bit of a mess. Uh, I'm going to take a little sip of water here just for a moment. And let's see what else we've got here. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. They're really good. Um, James O. writes, thanks for the link to Brendan O'Neill's article, Respare, which should really be Spare Me. What have you made of the book and Harry's antics in general? So, um, yes, if uh, I included a link to Brendan O'Neill's article um, on Spare, on the book. It's really good. He calls it a 400-page temper tantrum, which is... Um, I think one of the best descriptions. So we don't need to talk about Harry Sperry anymore. Uh, We've got a question from Eric Redman. Good afternoon, Laura. I enjoy your frequently wry wit. May God bless you for stepping up to fill this breach. Thank you, Eric. I am, as I said, really honored to be here. It is, it's really neat, actually. So thank you for your kind comment. Um, okay, we're going to move along a little bit. We have some Canadian content now. We're going to move to Canada. Um, let's see, Mary B. Uh, thank you, Mary. Hi, Laura. Um, I've just seen the video of the woman killed by security guards at a Toronto hospital for wearing her mask too low. How can anyone feel safe going to that hospital after that? Thank you um, for bringing that up. So just as a bit of background, and I will... I think I may have included in the links or maybe not. If not, I'll put it in next week's links so you guys can see the story. Like you, you all were certainly following, um, what was going on in lockdown, um, here in Ontario through the links. Um, I kind of hope that I kept everybody abreast of how awful it was. And it was really awful. So this is the story of a woman, um, Stephanie Warner, who, Uh, In May 2020, so like a few months uh, after the pandemic madness started in March 2020, um, went to a Toronto hospital and it it was really draconian here. Um, Again, we we really suffered tremendously, Um, whether it was masks um, and the idea of not seeing your family children not seeing friends, no school, no athletics, no fun, no anything. Um, Just an awful, awful dark time. And this poor woman who had a number of medical issues and some past um, substance abuse, uh, substance dependency issues, went to a Toronto hospital. And um, she was, for a a few moments, um, not wearing her mask properly, properly as as if that's a thing and she was 
pummeled and attacked and basically strangled um, by the security guards at this Toronto hospital. Um, she passed out. And as it happens, the hospital took her away, the limp, her limp body, and didn't notify her family for, I think, 11 days that there was anything untoward, that she was in the hospital. And this woman died. Um, she died. And the guard, it was filmed. And then one of the guards tried to, I think, reposition a camera so that it wouldn't be caught on camera. It's absolutely sinister. And um, so now her family, having been disappointed by the criminal courts, is launching a civil suit against the hospital that uh, whose guards um, did this and against the security staff, the entire um, food chain of them. So this is a, obviously an appalling story. And I think we also have to put it into the context of how how bad it was here in Ontario and here in Canada and how um, capricious things were, how arbitrary and how sadistic um, a lot of these rules were. There was no sense to many of them, no logic. Um, they were meant to punish people. And uh, here, you, this is an example of how these ridiculous rules ended up uh, killing a woman, you know, murder by COVID policy. Um, it's, it's appalling and it's heartbreaking and it makes me really angry. And it's one of the reasons why I don't think we, me as a society or anything is anywhere near um, forgiveness or amnesty. I mean, these people, the people who did this, the people who enacted these policies, they sleep very well at night now. Um, they feel that they did the right thing. They're all trying to bail now, now that the information is seeping through, whether it's um, Twitter files, whether it's um, medical publications about vaccine harms and injuries and deaths. There's a drip drip coming out now. And I think that that's one of the reasons why that horrible Jacinda Ardern from New Zealand has, has jumped ship. Um, I think that it's she just feels too close to the fire now. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are other, quote, leaders who are, are going to do the same. And so this specific incident is awful. Also, the woman who, who was killed by these, murdered by these security guards, um, had a daughter who spiraled downhill after this happened, obviously, and I think had her own addiction issues and ended up committing suicide. So this is a tragedy of epic proportions for for a family and also for what it says to about our country and about our priorities. And Canada as well is on a serious economic, but moreover, a, a moral decline. We have a moral decline here. And it's evidenced in stories like this um, and evidenced uh, within the stories of um, medically assisted death made or, you know, as I call it, state euthanasia, state murder, de um, democide. And uh, we can see that also now uh, uh, stories about how people who've elected for medically assisted death, um, their organs are being harvested here in Canada. <clears throat> so it's it's all really awful. So that's a particular example of how bad it was. And again, I 
don't understand how anybody can still at this point um, say like, oh, how did the Holocaust happen? And it happens because this kind of abject cruelty and sadism and not looking at other humans as humans um, is what starts the process rolling and stripping people of their civil rights is what happened um, in in Germany um, before the Holocaust. Uh, Jews were were stripped of their civil rights um, before they were sent to the gas chambers. So again, um, we have to look at these incidents uh, on their own and also in general. It's a terrible story and I don't I don't really know very many people or families who haven't had um, something disastrous happen to them as a result of the of the policies that were sprung upon us, whether it's friendships lost, businesses, um, relationships, jobs, um, health issues. Um, there's not really one positive thing at all that came out of it, except that certain people in the world made, uh, billions and billions of dollars. That's their only plus. But for the rest of us, the um, the ledger sheet is in the minus. And uh, so no forgiveness, <laughs> no forgetness, not, not right now. Thank you, uh, Mary, for that question. Um, let's see right now. We'll move up to Deborah McKenzie. Uh, thank you, Deborah. I think, I think you're one of my Twitter peeps also. <clears throat> Hi, Laura. What do you think of governments telling people to deny their own perceptions of reality in order to indulge in the mental health conditions of others? Why do I have to perceive a male who is suffering from gender dysphoria as a woman, quote, a quote, woman? Will the state insist I avoid eye contact with those suffering from paranoia? What can be done to ensure that women do not lose or further lose their hard-won sex-based rights? Um, thank you for that question. That really uh, covers a lot of ground. Uh, I think that what has to happen, first of all, the governments will tell you to deny reality. They will tell you and they are telling you to deny what you see with your own lying eyes. That's That's been happening for a long time. And the more um, fervently they insist it, you know that that is, you know, in proportion to how big of a lie, how big of a whopper it really is. So the more aggressive they get about it, the more they realize even within themselves at what a, a massive whopper it is. Um, and, and it's very dangerous stuff. Like it's not, this is not just theoretical um, faculty room or faculty club stuff now. There are, as Mark calls them, bepenist individuals who pretend, you know, that they're women walking around in change rooms um, near young girls, teenage girls and women. And, um, it, it doesn't get much worse than that. So um, obviously the next stage is going to be sexual assault. I mean, it is an assault in and of itself to be subjected <coughs> to a male body and a male a male biology in a women's space when you're at your most vulnerable. Um, that is an assault. And there will be physical assaults, obviously, uh, as well. And I think that the only thing that um, we can do, it's not that we can... Um, do anything to ensure that we don't lose or further lose sex-based rights. It's we have to flip this entire table, and that happens. That has to happen with the cooperation of men and women. 
it's when men and women are united on this um, that it'll it'll get turned back a bit. And so there was a story, uh, and and it requires courage. I mean, people have to to take a public stand about this stuff. And I've been lately calling out newspapers who use in their headlines, you know, um, teenage girl shocked by trans woman flouting her penis uh, in change room. And it's like, no, that's that's one place where we have to stop. And you have to maybe write a letter to the editor or call the paper and say, um, no, it's it's a man. It's a male predator with a penis. It's a man with a penis who wants to be around women. That's what it is. So you can't let them get away with um, with with any of it. Like it, there's too much at risk. There's we've ceded too much territory. So the only way forward is uh, courage and calling out the lies. And Mark has a line about living in truth, and you have to do that on a micro level. Um, and this is uh, this trans issue is is a litmus test. Um, but it's paving the way for other stuff because you have to realize that there's no low. Like it's it's not like, okay, they they got trans, they got be penised men into ch- women's change rooms. We're done. There's no done. So, you have to decide where your red line is. And I would encourage people to do that because I think that the next, or the current frontiers that they're working on as well, um, are certainly uh, pedophilia. There's no question about that. Uh, normalizing it uh, is, is happening in many circles through this trans, uh, ideology cult. And it'll, it will surely, um, be bestiality as well. So there's no low, there's no moral low bar. Um, so, and there's, I heard Barry Weiss say something, uh, good about this, which was that there's going, it's not going to get better. Like there's not going to be a better time to speak out in 10 minutes from now, and in 15 minutes from now, and tomorrow, and next week, and next month, there's not going to be a spot in time where it's going to be better than right now to speak up and show some guts. You got to show some guts. And it's I understand people are scared and anonymous people want to be anonymous, but you're affecting change much less anonymously. And you just have to admit that's a fact. And if you put your name to it and you have the gumption, you can actually make things happen. Um, you know, uh, I was scared to put my name out there for a while. I had an anonymous blog and, um, and then after a while it was like somebody from the Canadian government was stalking me and, um, threatening to out me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to just out myself. Here I am. And you know what happened? Nothing, 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 nothing happened. And I always say like the, you, you can, you can find the name of the head of the Mossad, that's public. That's a matter of public record. So for all the anonymous people, you know, if you think that you have more more to worry about, um, if your name is out there than the head of the Mossad, uh, fine. Okay. Um, I'm not going to be too influenced by your opinions then if you remain anonymous. Uh, lots of us are out there sharing the risk a lot greater because of anonymity. So figure out what you're going to take a stand on and, and do your best and um, and push back. It's not going to be better tomorrow. It's going to be tomorrow's worth of worse. Um, thanks, uh, Deborah, for that. Okay, we're going to move along. 
Um, Simon Arnold. Hey, Simon. Um, thank you for your question, which is, hi, Laura. The unfolding moral deficit at Hollywood and uh, Hollywood and Parli Hollywood and Parliament. I was wondering how long they can sink. Where do we draw the line? One day something far nastier will come along and demand more human rights. So I, I think, um, I'm not sure I understand the question. If we're discussing like British Parliament, um, Holly Rood, maybe you could um, flip a comment in just to clarify. I'd be happy to get back to you um, if it's something about the British Parliament and human rights, or I'm not sure if it's Canadian. So maybe just flip a few more uh, bits of detail in there and we'll, we will get back to it. Uh, let's see, we've got Gary. Gary says, the videos of Greta getting, quote, arrested recently are pathetic. What do you make of this obvious grifter? Gary, how dare you, Gary? How dare you? Ugh, I think somebody had a great line. I don't know whose line it was. It's not mine. I'm not taking credit for it. I just can't remember who said that maybe we should get beyond, you know, taking policy direction from autistic teenagers. Although I think she's 20 years old now. Uh, she's just a miserable soul with miserable parents. And I don't really t put uh, too much stock into what she says or does. And uh, there was a funny video um, circulating Greta being allegedly arrested, but she's like posing with the police officers in their in their dark outfits and their thing. It's so crazy. It's like Greta Wood, you know, how the Palestinians always have these um, videos that they make of people dying and being shot and murdered. And then they get up after the the cameras are allegedly stopped rolling. And, and so they're, they're not so dead. And they called it Pallywood. So this is kind of Greta Wood. It, like I said before, a lot of this stuff is just acting. So I wouldn't even take, I don't take any of them seriously um, in terms of policy or their, their influence. I, I take seriously what their plans are. Uh, but other than that, I think just think of them as actors, you know, well-paid actors. Need a little water break. One second. All right. We have about uh, 15 minutes left of this Q&A. Uh, the Sabbath is at 5 five-ish Eastern time today. So I got a little bit more time with you guys. Um, okay. Uh, we've got a question from Curious Jack. Hi, Laura. When you compile your links, are there any so awful or shocking you refuse to include them? What might they be? <laughs> yeah, I I think one of the... I, I don't generally refrain from um, putting something in the links because it's shocking. That hasn't really happened, although it got very close this week with the story of, um, from Mia Cathel, I think her last name is, she writes for Town Hall, she's an investigative reporter, and um, it's a horrible story at Town Hall about um, like a pedophile abuse uh, ring in Georgia in the United States, and it was two gay parents who adopted kids and abused them, and I mean, they were replaced by like a Christian um adoption agency if you want to see what the most awful and shocking was pretty much so far uh, since I started doing the links that would definitely uh, be right up there so it's not for the faint-hearted if you guys want to look at it but um, you know in a way it's important to recognize what what we're dealing with and to deal with some of the uncomfortable issues with that that this kind of horrible story raises I mean first of all is that obviously that humans can be depraved and evil we know that. Um, but also all the complicity and all the layers of approval of these adoptions uh, where there might be red, might have been red flags 
Uh, I don't know all the details. There's a lot of information in the in this article. So I don't tend to edit out of the links things that are really disturbing because that's kind of why why I'm doing this is to keep you guys abreast of what is percolating out there. And sometimes it's awful. Sometimes the general climate is awfulness and, you know, it's out there and we have to deal with it. Um, let's see, a question from Gregory Lawton. Have you been following the latest on the Temple Mount on the controversy over allowing prayer? I visited Israel last February, but we skirted the temple area. Google did warn me about walking through the Arab quarter, but no one paid any attention to me. Um, thanks for that Israel question. So, um, yeah, it, it requires actually a little bit more time. It's like a history lesson. Basically, like after the six day war, um, the Temple Mount was in Jewish hands um, for the first time in, you know, millennia. And then um, in order to appease the Arabs, uh, the chief of staff, Moshe Dayan, at the time, despite like he basically what do they say, snatched um, defeat out of the jaws of victory. So uh, they they enabled the Muslim waqaf to have control over the Temple Mount. And since then, Jews have not been allowed to pray freely at the Temple Mount. So uh, it, it's a very complicated thing. Um, there's no reason why Jews shouldn't be allowed to pray there, but the Israeli police enforce this as well to keep what's called a, the status quo, quote unquote, like it's an actual legal... <laughs> designation in Israel, the status quo. So I think it's really bad. And um, I obviously, as a, as a Jew, I, I have a lot to say about the Temple Mount, about that area and how important it is in Judaism and stuff like that. It's also important for Christians. Um, so the fact that Jews go there, even if it's a politician, th that should be a nothing burger. And if we treated it as a nothing burger and not fall into the hysteria, then it would be a nothing burger. Um, also, the Palestinians have destroyed a lot of the um, archaeology there, building illegal mosques underground, um, trucking out thousands of tons of, quote, debris that has artificial, uh, architectural and uh, archaeological remnants of um, Jewish settlement, Jewish things of importance historically. Um, so a big sifting project had to go on from that dirt that was carted off while they were digging whatever they were digging. So it's a complicated um, subject. And I'm glad you were in Israel. Uh, the Arab Quarter, I haven't been to the Arab Quarter in a while. I used to, when I, before I knew how dangerous it was, I would walk by myself down from the Jaffa Gate to, to the Kotel, to the Western Wall. And um, I, I wouldn't do that now. It's 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 generally pretty safe and people want your money. So they'll haggle with you. But um, yeah, I haven't been in a while. Thank you, Gregory, for that question. Um, definitely lots to talk about in terms of the Temple Mount. I would refer you to people like Eugene Kontorovich. Uh, he's a scholar who deals with some of this stuff and, you know, Caroline Glick. Um, they always have uh, good and accurate things to say um, about the, the current controversies. Um, let's move on. We've got about 10 more minutes here. Jeff B. Um, what is it about American universities that makes them such a hotbed for anti-Semitism, Jew hate, as the Gladstone Institute? Uh, the, oh, I think you mean Gatestone, as Gatestone Institute calls it. Yeah, Jeff, that's a, a good point. It's, um, it's like a feature, not a bug now. It's very scary. And again, um, anti-Semitism, in my view anyways, is not 
really, quote, just about the Jews. Like, of course, it's about the Jews. It's Jew hatred. Yeah. But it's a, a symbol of a decline in society. It's like it's it, anti-Semitism is what you see when things are not going well in a society. Societies that have pogroms and do terrible things to their Jewish communities don't thrive. They don't prosper. And history has shown us that when Jews get expelled or tortured or gas chambered and all these things, those societies uh, are on their way down. They're on their way down the toilet and they don't usually recover. I mean, look at all the places where there were thriving Jewish communities in the world. Um, there's very there's there's no country where Jews lived up until now, let's say, like other than America, where somebody would say, like, uh, I'd like to really I, I'm so happy about going back to like, um, I don't know, certain communities like, you know, in Russia, Jews would want to go and start a new community there. Like it, it, these places turn into very bad places. So I think what this shows is the tolerance for anti-Semitism on on university campuses is a, a mark of decline for America. It doesn't really say much about the Jews. It says that this kind of very bad thing that is very bad for the soul of the nation and for the soul and the spirituality of the individual citizens, that's what we're seeing happening in America. So it's very bad. And so this is obviously related to the general decline in morality, um, the general psychological decline, the economic decline of the American Republic. So it's extremely troubling. And uh, the other thing is that what starts with Jews never ends with Jews. So anything that's been tested on Jews, whether it's terror or all these other things, is going to happen to other populations. So it's an important thing to note. It's very scary. And um, I think it is a symptom of an overall uh, problem in the society that enables or hosts or turns a, a blind eye to it. <clears throat> okay, let's see. Uh, oh, okay. Simon got back to me. Um, hi, Laura. Apologies. I was referring to the trans debate at Hollywood S Scottish Parliament. I think you were spot on in replying to Deborah. Okay, so I'm glad we covered um, what you were what you were asking about. Scotland's gotten really weird, like really weird. And I, I read a book. Uh, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's like it was something like the Scots invented everything. I didn't realize that that was true. Like Scots, I think invited in they invented universities and libraries. This is great book. I'll, I'll find, uh, I'll find the name of it and I'll maybe I'll, I'll refer back to it in the links if I remember, but, um, Scotland is, is like really weird. Maybe some of the Scottish people who are listening could let us know what the heck is going on there. Because, uh, every time I see a news story from Scotland, it's like, it's almost like Canada. It's like crushing free speech is, is important. All this kooky trans stuff is a priority. Um, all this really weird stuff. So, um, Scottish listeners, please feel free to let us know what's going on. And also if there's any voices of sanity that we should be tuning into, um, it's very frightening. It's really weird. Like it's happening. It seems to be happening at a very fast and furious pace. So if anybody has any, uh, additional inside scoop on that, let us know. We are interested in that. Um, let's see, we've got a comment from Jim M who says, <clears throat> In Canada, they'll kill us if we ask. Is the next step we can sell our organs to the government? So I think Jim is like referring to what I described a little bit earlier, how um, not it's not enough that there's this, um, quote, medically assistant, a medical assistance in dying program. 
Um, now there was an article that, you know, we should celebrate the fact that Canada, uh, the, the, the recipients of MAID, as they call it, MAID, um, are like awesome organ donors. So they are saving lives as they um, uh, are on their way out the door. It's super creepy and ghoulish. So uh, is the next step that we can sell our organs to the government? Uh, like, I wouldn't rule it out, but I feel like it's more likely that they would just demand your organs. Like, you take a blood test and they're like, oh, you're an A positive. We have an A positive donor um, from down the road and uh, you have to donate your kidney. <laughs> I honestly don't think that we're very far away from that. I really don't. Um, thanks, Jim. Uh, it's super creepy, right? But Canada has turned into something very, very creepy and um, and most people seem to be kind of okay with it. So uh yeah, it's definitely possible that that could happen. Uh, let's see, we've got time for, I guess, maybe like one or two more questions before I rush uh, downstairs to help Mr. C with all the Shabbat stuff. Uh, did a lot of it this morning. Um, the house smells good. And uh, candle lighting, as I said, is at five. So we're still we're still golden for a little while. Let's see, we've got um, Matt from upstate New York who says, Laura, this may be an odd question, but what are your thoughts on UFOs? Tucker Carlson here in the U.S. devotes a lot of airtime to the subject, including a segment just a few days ago about an incident near a nuclear test in 1945. I like Tucker a lot, and I don't think he would go after a story without merit. Any thoughts? So um, I, didn't, I didn't see that Tucker was doing a story about UFOs. Um, I, I don't always catch Tucker, even though I love when I find... Uh, his monologues, uh, like on Instagram, sometimes I watch the whole thing. I don't spend a huge amount of time uh, on UFOs. Uh, I know that there's like a whole subculture and uh, there's probably lots of Reddits and um, various internet groups that are uh, sleuthing around about this stuff. So um, maybe I'll just say that I think that there's a huge amount of stuff that we humans do not know about, that we have to be pretty humble uh, lots of stuff that I don't know about that I don't have a clue about. And there's stuff in the universe that I don't think we have a clue about. I'm not, I'm not convinced about UFOs. I haven't really, um, again, I haven't, I don't give it too much thought, but I haven't seen any evidence that has been really compelling to me. Um, but you know, I believe, uh, like I am a person of faith and I obviously believe that there are many things that we cannot explain. Um, many, many things, strange coincidences, uh, weird things that happen to you. So I definitely believe in some kind of things that are beyond the, the regular everyday scope of, uh, our human, our human doings, uh, but, uh, can't really comment, uh, too extensively on UFOs. Okay. I think that, uh, we'll take one more question and then I'm going to, uh, sign off gonna bog off because I got uh, domestic servitude to deal with so the last question for this beautiful January 20th is going to be from Brendan and Brendan says um, Alec Baldwin was just charged with involuntary manslaughter do you think this charge is correct Ugh, you know Brendan I I saw that and um, I I think, I don't know about the charges and like the different layers of what he could be charged with, but uh, 
I'm, I'm glad to see that there is some kind of charge. I mean, a woman did die and it does seem to be his fault. So, um, I'm kind of surprised actually that there were charges laid. It's about a year later. Um, and we'll see how this pans out. I think they were saying that he could be eligible for a maximum of like 18 months or something in prison. That's if it, if it goes, uh, the way of uh, law enforcement or the, these charges. So, um, I don't know. He doesn't seem to be the greatest guy. His wife, Hilaria, with all her pretend Spanish whatever, seems kind of, uh, they're not my cup of tea. What can I tell you? They're not my cup of tea. Um, But I haven't been following all the details very closely, but I definitely was surprised to see that in the news a year later. Um, You guys, it is like one minute to four. Um, It was really nice to have this time with you all. Um, once again, honored to to be here warming the chair and warming the mic the mic for our beloved great prophet Mark Stein um, as he convalesces and hope that you guys have a fantastic weekend. Um, if there's any other questions that you didn't get a chance uh, to put in the comments, you can drop them in uh, over the weekend and I will pop into the comments as well and Uh, try to get up to speed with some of the extras and you can always send a note uh, to the club as well. So I'm going to sign off and thank you once again for joining us and we will see you next time. Take care. Bye for now. Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.